let me pray and grab water. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for uh, this beautiful place. Help me uh, throughout the Old Testament to take Jesus on a jury. Rather, he would take us and show us about you, Father, and show us about your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Good to see everybody. An Old Testament sermon on Father's Day. There'll be a little bit of history. We'll talk about this scribe named Ezra. Isaiah will get in there. And as in most sermons, Jesus will show up at the end and hopefully put a bow tie on it and teach us about grace. So real quick, close your ears if it's gross. I know, microphone. That's good, all right. Here we go. Let's go. The year is 587 B.C. It's a long time ago. 2,600 years ago, give or take a few years. The Babylonian Empire came to the southern kingdom And in God's providence, God said for many years to his people, stop acting like turkeys. Stop oppressing the oppressed. Stop hoarding for yourself. Stop doing things you shouldn't do. And the Babylonians came and they conquered the Jewish people and led them into exile. We have much of the Old Testament written in exile. After about 68 to 72 years in exile, depending on your calendar, some Hebrews, some Jewish people were given the choice to go back to Jerusalem or stay in exile. Okay? Some went back. Some didn't. About the year 458 B.C., a gentleman shows up named King Artaxerxes, okay? The Babylonians had fallen, the Persians had risen, and King Artaxerxes was the Persian king, and he was very smart and very diplomatic. He basically said, I've conquered the whole world, and I know the whole world has lots of different faith systems, religions, so I want to let people who are here go back to their lands and appease their gods so my kingdom will be good. You see what he did? There's eight or ten gods out there. I want them all to be happy, so I'm all good. He was actually a very religious man in his pagan religion, but he wanted all the gods to be worshipped so he could have favor from all of them. Basically, it's Greek mythology. That's the mindset, right? It's not Greek, but that's the mindset. I don't want Zeus to be unhappy with me. (laughs) I don't want Diana. I just want everyone. So he, in Susa, the capital of his empire around the kingdom, he had heard of a Jewish scribe named Ezra. And real quickly, what did a Jewish scribe do? A Jewish scribe was literate, read and write, was somewhat educated, and he, sorry ladies, he would take the writings of the Torah and the law and simply copy them. He would do control, is it C? Control, all, select, C, control, V, paste. Okay, that that was his job. And so that's what he did. He He was smart in that way. Over time and over lineage, because it was usually passed down to generations, scribes became experts or scholars in the Torah, in the Old Testament. Why? Because how many of you guys got in trouble in class back when we had chalkboards? How many of you had to write on the chalkboard ever? I will keep my mouth shut, I promise. After a while, when I had to do that, my mom's here, you can ask her. She never found out about it. That's how good I was. I'm kidding, Mom. <laughs> After a while, I would not only write that, it was actually on paper, Where's Kayla? We had pen and paper. You still have pen and paper, right? Okay, very good. I would start to interpret the different words I would write a hundred times. That's what scribes did. 
That's what Ezra did. So he became somewhat of a scholar of the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. The commandments, right? So, uh, I'm sorry, the king says what? Ezra, go back to Jerusalem. I want to make sure Yahweh's happy. Smart, right? I don't believe in Yahweh, but I want to make sure Yahweh is happy. That's in and around how the book of Ezra comes to pass. It was a good plan. It was a smart plan. And that's kind of what happened. Like I said, Ezra was, in fact, an ancient Xerox machine who became a professor. That was his role, okay? Ezra was selected by the king, sent to the holy city to give a report. And real quick, 300 years before this, during the first exile, for you Bible note takers, who took over the nation first? The Assyrians. The Assyrians were brutal people, okay? And before the Babylonian exile, they came in and they depopulated the promised land. They held the people for a while. And then in a very smart way, they repopulated it with people whom they chose. And they basically started the Samaritan lineage. Samaritans were kind of Jewish, kind of not. Kind of pagan, kind of not. Worship not in the temple, but kind of worship God in the mountains where the patriarchs lived. All these different places we see in the old part of the Old Testament. So even now, when Ezra's going back to the holy city, there is tension between the Jews and who? The Samaritans. There's racism. That's, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm 100% Jewish. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I don't know where you're from, Kevin. Get out of my way. So that was the culture when Ezra's walking back in. That still is predominant in our country and all over the world. That culture, racial undertones of hate, right? We've talked a lot about that. So that's what Ezra's walking into. So if you are familiar with Ezra, we'll read a few verses. Ezra chapter 9, verse 1. After these things had been done, the officials approached me. So the officials, some of the priests and some of the council, some of the temple people, approached Ezra and said, the people of Israel and the priest and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations. Lots of people groups here. These are the Samaritan people. It's like the non-Jews, the half-Jews, whoever. The Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. Whew. Okay. Verse 2. For they, the Jewish people, have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons. So, listen to this. This is the officials reporting to Ezra, the scribe and the professor. So that the what? Uh-oh. Where's it at? The holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. What does that mean? The Jewish mindset, and this is the part we'll get to, was we are to be consecrated for God. He's commanded us to do that. We are set apart. And the leaders, that's what the last line's about, have been the foremost men. Ladies are kind of off the hook here. Man, those Amorite women are pretty. Hey, Jacob, let's go hang out with them. 
Those Moabite women, they're sure tall and pretty. Let's go hang out with them. So as the leaders of the nation, the religious leaders started to do this, what do the people do? That's great. So that's an issue in the Old Testament because it's there and it's true and we'll talk about it, but that's there. And that's interesting. Ezra hears about interracial marriage and freaks out. Isn't the Bible awesome? Verse three, as soon as I heard this, this is how he freaked out. I tore my garment and my cloak and I pulled my hair from my head and beard and I sat appalled. Uh Uh-oh, I've been angry. My wife can attest to this. I don't think I've torn my shirt. Even when I had a beard, it wasn't long enough to pull. I know I'm gonna lose my hair, so I'm gonna leave it in. But this is angry. Were people defiling the Holy of Holies with pig's blood? No. They were simply marrying people from other lineages. So as we read the Bible, and what I've been trying to do for a year and a half now is for us to go below the pages and just to go, oh, that's a nice story, but what's going on here? Because this is in the Holy Scriptures. This is in the canon where Ezra shows up and people have married, we'll say it, interracially, and all hell is about to break loose. It has on him. This is as appalled as one can get. This is abomination in biblical language. When a man does this and this and this, he is appalled. And he was sent by King Artaxerxes as a scribe of the Most High, as a professor of Yahweh, and this is his account. Look at his prayer, starting in verse six. Ezra prays the first OMG text ever. He says this, literally, saying, here's his prayer. Oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens. Now don't overthink the text. We are all sinful. They were sinful back then. But Ezra is specifically speaking about this interracial unions. That's what he's talking about right here. That's what the iniquity is, okay? That's how he starts his prayer. Look at halfway through, verse 12. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons. So now he's, he's repented. Now he's kind of exhorting through prayer. You might have done that as well, kind of talking yourself up in some ways. Maybe preaching, because there is a gathering that's going to come around him. Never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat good of the land and leave it for an inheritance to your children forever. Don't mix with them because we want our children to prosper. And look how he closes, verse 15, Ezra 9. Read the whole prayer tonight if you want to be kind of depressed, but here we go. O Lord, the God of Israel, You are just, for we are left a remnant that has escaped as it is today. Behold, we are before you in our guilt, for none can stand before you because of this. Because of why? Because of interracial marriage. Look what happens. 
What's going to happen? You guys know the story? They didn't need Billy Graham. They didn't need Acquire the Fire. They didn't need uh, Jesus Culture Music for some of you younger folks. What happens in chapter 10? Revival breaks out. 10-1. Put it up there, Kim. We can read it. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. They repented because God's scribe came and said, what are you doing intermingling with these people who are not like us? Have you ever read this Bible? You guys ever read this? Some of you look at me like I'm, I'm like speaking a different language right now. I'm just trying to go through the text. It's good for us. We'll get there. Jesus is going to show up, okay? Next verse. Okay, here's some names here, so go with me, okay? And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Elam, addressed Ezra, we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land, but even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Just to show us this is not about other sins, what is this about, church? Cohabitating with other lineages. I'll say it that way. Other family origins. That's what this is about. So revival breaks out, and people begin to be awakened, and people see the error of their ways. Verse 3, they say this in this moment. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God. Put away all these wives and their children. Ouch. According to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to what? The Torah. So now we're in a conundrum. If you go on to read the chapter, 109 Jewish men made a covenant that day at the temple of the Lord to go home and tell their wives to kick rocks and tell their children, I never want to see you again. That's what happened. Uh-oh. Everyone do a big uh-oh with me. One, two, three. That's why we have to go deeper in the pages of the scriptures and not just take them at face value, because I'm going to tell you, there are racist supremacists out there who use passages like this to go, see? And I say to them, See, you hang out with the devil. Because that's what they do. Because that's there. But we as Christians, we have people of the, the Jesus way have to know what this means or we will be picked off and we won't have an answer when someone comes up to you hot and heavy and go, what about Ezra 9 and 10? We're not supposed to marry mixed races. There's 15 marriages in here that wouldn't be allowed. And that's an awesome. I'm glad we are, have those people in our church but that's what we're getting at. And they did it according to the Torah, the law. Who fulfilled the Torah? Jesus. So we gotta, go, we gotta do a little more digging. I got 12 minutes. We're gonna be a couple minutes late because we started late. Hang on, okay? Because I set it up and you're like, I'm confused now. If you didn't know, confusing you is part of my giftedness. So it's gonna happen a lot, okay? That's, that's kind of how I roll, okay? So let's do a little more digging. I'm glad you're interested. These 109 men repented. They were probably convicted, and they said, Ezra, you are right. We're going to go home and say what? Honey, we've been married 18 years. We have six kids, but you got to go. 
This was revival in this small section of the scriptures. When people go too hard on biblical family values, I bring up Ezra 9 and 10. Because I'm kind of snarky that way. I said, do you want the whole Bible family values or just what you've created? Because we've got to look at the whole scriptures and see what it means, right? Hear me. Ezra was not a prophet, even though he's a minor prophet in the scriptures. He was a scribe and a professor. He did his role faithfully. And hopefully I'll wrap up with this was right for Ezra, Ezra to, to write down and command for a few different reasons, even though it's kind of weird to us. In the scriptures, when Jesus fulfilled the law, he never quoted Ezra. And everyone go, praise God. I'm not out to make Ezra a bad guy. I'm going to wrap up and say why what he did was good in the time with the knowledge he had. Remember that. Jesus often quoted Isaiah, who was a what? One who saw oracles. One who lived in the prophetic. One who was so gifted and so consumed by grace saw a vision of Messiah coming. Ezra never saw that. That's where the rub is. Ezra, in his scribeness and his professorship, never saw the vision of Messiah. He was simply calling people back to what was given. That's why he was right. It's weird, right? Back to the law. Back to the Torah. That's what we're with. Back, back, back. I'm an interpreter, and I understand the Torah, the law, the law, the law. But one came to fulfill the law, and in his fulfilling of the law, in some ways, we went through this on the Sermon on the Mount, made it obsolete by raising the standards And what did Jesus say about marriage and children? Homeboy, you better stick with her for life. I don't care what race she is. (laughs) Man up. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Right? Happy Father's Day. Everyone's out of here, right? No, 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 but that's what Jesus said. And Isaiah, in the prophetic realm, the truly prophetic realm, remember what prophecy is about. Prophecy is given by God to show us the reality of the kingdom coming and what it looks like. Isaiah wrote a lot about Jesus. He didn't know it, maybe. We get the suffering servant passages. But look at Isaiah 56. Debbie read it earlier. This will kind of bring some closure and hopefully some enlightening to this. Isaiah 56, 5. I will give in my house, speaking of the perfect temple. Let me back up real quick. Two temples. One of them was destroyed by the Babylonians And if we had a fire in this church, heaven forbid, no, we have insurance, we would probably have a big meeting as a church to go, we loved our old sanctuary, but maybe we can make the new sanctuary a little different, right? We can do this, this, and this. This is the backdrop of Isaiah's vision, okay? There is an earthly temple, but he is giving prophecy about the living temple, the man Christ himself, John 2, his body, and this is what he says. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than human race. That's what it means, sons and daughters, because it's human. We all have names. What's your last name? Do a little genealogy. It's kind of fun. I did some. I look identical to my uncle who lived in Utah in 1789. It's scary. That's weird. When you see a picture, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. Sorry about that, babe. But anyways, okay. That's what it means. I will give my house and within my walls, the true temple, a monument, a name 
better than lineage, better than race. That's what he's getting at. I will give them an everlasting name that shall what? Not be cut off. What did Ezra command some faithful Jews to do according to the Torah? Cut off Samaritans. We don't want any part of them. Jesus, the true temple, the one Isaiah is having this prophecy about, the true Messiah says what? When it all comes to pass, nobody will be hindered from coming to my temple the way, ladies, you get off, happy Father's Day, the way men have done in the past because we've controlled much of religion, men. Verse six, and the foreigners who joined themselves to the Lord, those who repent and come into faith, those outside of the Jewish lineage, those who come to faith in Christ, they will minister to love the name of the Lord and be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. Look at verse seven. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices I will accept at my altar. Here we go. For my house shall be, a call, shall be called a house of prayer for who? All nations. All nations. So don't hammer Ezra. Ezra was on a long hike in Yosemite with no moon. And he could barely see Half Dome. And he knew the map of Half Dome. And he was doing the best he could. And that's scripture. That's true. Isaiah shows up on Glacier Point at sunrise. Isaiah sees the vision of Messiah and goes, I'm going to write a little deeper than Ezra. I'm going to write prophetically into this humankind and show them about the true temple. Not one with marble and gold purely, but the one which will be the risen body of Messiah. That's where we're at. It's dangerous to go to the Old Testament without who, church? Tell me. It's dangerous to go on the climb in the Old Testament like the climb to K2 or Mount Everest without a guide. Jesus is our guide. When we go to the Old Testament in the law without Jesus, we get in trouble. We show up and say, divorce her, Mikey. She's not like you. But when Jesus shows up to Mikey, in a kind, hear this, not in a preacher way, in a kind, gentle way, Jesus says, hey, Mikey, can I tell you what Isaiah said? Can I tell you what I'm going to quote when I'm on earth like 700 years later? Hey, Mikey, don't divorce your wife. The kingdom, the gospel call is for people to pray and worship God from all nations, tribes, and tongues. Revelation 7. That's the message that Jesus Christ brings to the entire scriptures. So early on in my walk with the Lord, I would read Ezra 9 and 10 and go, I don't got an answer. I know that's wrong. I'm looking at brides and grooms all over the room, and I would say, I can't explain your marriage from the old covenant. I'm sorry. That doesn't work for a pastor, nor should it work for people who believe in Jesus, right? We should have an answer. And the answer is, Ezra wrote dimly, scripture, true, he was faithful to what he knew. There was revival. Isaiah, on the other side of the exile, prophetically uttered 
things about Messiah, God coming to earth. Let Jesus, dads, for us on this day, let Jesus be our sponsor when we venture, venture into heavy topics like racism and marriage and politics. Amen? Amen? Let Jesus be our sponsor. Let's walk with him even to the Old Testament where we get a few niche verses sometimes. Men who aren't dads, let Jesus be our sponsor when we walk into those weighty, heavy subjects. Let's pray to him and say, I understand what that means, and I'm still confused, but, but Lord, give me the grace to what? To see Jesus. And like I said, Jesus rarely shows up harshly, except to people who are fanatically religious, like Pharisees, religious. And he usually shows up and says, Deb, let me tell you what Isaiah said about me. So this is a building block. Is Ezra true? Yes, but limited. Is Messiah true? Yes, and fulfilled. See it that way. That's how we have to view these tough passages. Dads, I'm a dad. I only bring this up because we as men and women and Christians in this country at this time, we have to long for Jesus to show up when we're conversing with people who believe, but especially with people who what? Don't believe. Isaiah could see farther and far brighter than Ezra. Isaiah could see bright enough to see vision of Jesus, Messiah. And again, this is the main reason Jesus would quote Isaiah, as would Peter and others. Three minutes, I know it's hot. If I could ask you to sum up Christianity in one word, give me some examples. One word, what's Christianity? One word. Anybody? Living Christ, good. What else? Give it to me. Give it to me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sweating already. I might as well run around. One word to describe Christianity. Unity. Unity. Good. Redeemed. Redeemed. Good. Acceptance. Acceptance. Good. Grace. Grace. Good. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Good. All these are perfect. I heard maybe the favorite one. We always say grace, right? It means kind of all those things. I've told you this before. How many times did Jesus utter the word grace while he lived recordedly? Never. <laughs> so if our faith, if our religion is about grace, how come our Lord never said it? There you go. He lived it. His life and the grace that poured out from his life showing us the character and nature of our Heavenly Father on Father's Day could not be contained with words on a page. Merely, it had to be expressed and lived out in a myriad of ways to point us to grace. Jesus Christ is the grace of God walking in sandals. Jesus Christ is the pardon of God walking in sandals. Jesus Christ is the love of God walking in sandals. Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of God with dusty feet. That's why when we take him as our sponsor or our guide to tough passages, we go, okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about 109 men ditching their wives and leaving orphans in the ancient Near East where you know what women had to do usually? Get a new husband or sell their body. But when Jesus shows up, Everything's different. When Jesus shows up, 
interracial marriage becomes beautiful in Christ. When Jesus shows up, racism shows for what it is, satanic. I know it's heavy. I don't want it to be heavy on Father's Day, but it was a good reminder for me to go on a history lesson. Other dads in the room, I'm either happy you liked it or sorry it convicted you. And other people in the room, this is our Lord. Let's follow him. Amen? I'm going to pray and stop sweating, hopefully. Amen? We'll be done. There's more food across the way. There's lots of water. Hang out for a minute. Enjoy your Father's Day, but let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the whole entire Bible. Thank you for even the difficult parts. But more importantly, thank you for men who spoke prophetically about this one who would come, Jesus. And we thank you for your son coming and living out your grace and forgiveness. Father, thank you that you are a good father. As we go, bless us and keep us. May your face shine upon us. In Jesus' name, all God's people said what? Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday. See you soon. Hug somebody.